Hey everyone, welcome back to an all new edition of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you can implement in your current job today. This week's featured guest is Joel Lalji. Joel's currently a lead recruiter for HireWell, where he oversees full desk recruitment and account management within HireWell's human resources and professional services practice. However, he wasn't always a recruiter. As you soon will hear, Joel was born in the UK and had to face a fair amount of obstacles on his journey to success. Joel started in finance and actually worked his way through multiple recruiting roles, as well as time on his own prior to landing at HireWell and well before he amassed almost 100,000 followers on LinkedIn. In today's episode, we discussed finding a job that fits your personality, the misconception of what recruiters actually do, being very clear going into your job search, why you should hire a recruitment firm, knowing what you value most in life, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Joel Lalji. Joel, welcome to the show. Tyler, great to be here, man. It's been a long time coming, like you said, uh, backstage, so uh, excited to be on. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and for those of you who don't know, know Joel, who is Joel before we dive into your background? Besides the guy who posts memes on LinkedIn all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what I've become. Uh, no, nah, man, I, I would say, look, I'm passionate about recruiting, passionate about people, passionate about marketing, and uh, just try and be the most transparent that, that I can be, whether it's you know on a podcast like this or just in conversations with people. Uh, I'd say like my power, superpower if I had one, would be uh, the ability to be the same person online as I am offline. And uh, yeah, so... Super pumped to be here and uh, looking forward to kind of diving deeper as well. Absolutely. And we're, we'll get all into the transparency and the being genuine and authentic when we talk about LinkedIn. But I, as I start every single podcast, I want to take that big step back to the early days of Joel. Obviously, well, I'm not sure if you were always into, into recruiting. Um, mm. So tell, tell us a little bit more if you could set the stage of what high school Joel looked like leading up to I want to go to the University of Wisconsin and I want to study finance. Before that, who is Joel and what is he doing? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, so I was actually born in the UK. So I was born in England and uh, we moved, my family moved over here in 1999. So I was like 13, I think 12 or 13 when I moved over here. And so uh, I remember like moving here in January and I live in Wisconsin. So it was just like, bit really really hard winter and just I remember thinking like is this this is what America is like this isn't what I thought it was um but I think just even just like kind of like diving deeper into that I mean when I moved here it was a really big culture shock and um obviously I was like different because I was from England I had an accent I don't have an accent anymore but I had an accent at the time and um and so I spent a lot of my like youth really like trying to fit in and like just kind of be accepted and be cool. And that just took me down like a path of like, you know, basically doing anything I could to be cool, which was partying, you know, drugs at time, like just basically anything I could to fit in, I would do. And, um, you know, I'd moved around a couple of times as well while I was in the UK. So I was just kind of like used to moving around a lot and, um, and just, you know, getting to know people and like quickly having to build relationships um, and so, yeah, high school though, definitely was, were like rough years. And I definitely was like played soccer a lot cause I was from England and, you know, I was pretty good at soccer, but I had a terrible attitude. So I was like, really, really like just, you know, just a bad attitude, really proud. Like I thought I was like the best at everything. Uh, and, you know, definitely just went through like a stage of like whatever rules were at school, like I was breaking them. So I got in a lot of trouble, but I always got out of the trouble because, They'd look at my GPA and like my, I 
pretty much, pretty much just got straight A's all the time. Um, and so I was kind of like really rebellious, getting in trouble, getting, you know, just in fights and all, you know, just kind of crazy stuff like growing up in, in high school. And, and so when I was 18 and I graduated high school, um, my dad actually was like, you know, he's like, are you going to go to college here? And I said, no, I don't want to go to college right away. And at that time I couldn't work. I didn't have a green card because I was from England. And so he actually was like, Hey, you should, you know, you should actually just go back and live in England. If you're going to, if you're not going to go to school here, then just go get a job in England. So I actually ended up moving back to England, uh, when I was 18 and I lived there for about three years. And, um, you know, again, just kind of, you know, I was 18 living in England. So I was just partying all the time. And I was like living with some extended family over there. And, uh, but I was, I was like working these really crappy retail jobs. I think that was like the point that I realized like, okay, I don't want to work like re these retail jobs. So I'll go to school. And I chose finance, honestly, because I was just really good at math. And I just was like, okay, finance, that's money. So obviously if I go into finance, I'm going to make a lot of money. Um, and was I like really passionate about it? No. Uh, again, did really, really well. Got, I think I graduated with like, you know, 3.5 or something, you know, it's like something right good. Uh, and I got done in about three years because I wasn't a traditional student. So I started, you know, college when I was 21 and I got done in about three years and I was taking max course loads on. And then my last year of, uh, of the, of the degree, I ended up getting an internship with a company in Milwaukee called direct supply. And I didn't even know it at the time, but they're actually a really hard company to get into. Uh, like I think for every single position, uh, they, they usually get like 800 to a thousand applicants wow. and, uh, yeah, it was, and I didn't really even know that. And, and funnily enough, the way that I got the job or I got that internship was a friend of mine who ended up being my, uh, like CEO, first CEO in, in the recruiting space that I, I worked under. He was like, dude, you got to get on this LinkedIn. And this was like 2011. He was like, you got to get on this LinkedIn. Like it's a great way to connect with people and network. And yeah, you know, this is like old school LinkedIn. So there's nothing to do with content, but I was like, okay, yeah, like, this is great. And so I started connecting with people and I realized like, once you got to 500 connections, you get to 500 or plus, And it seemed like that meant something. So I started connecting with a lot of people and, uh, and then this internship opportunity came up and I was like, man, you know, I really want to stick out and stand out. And so what I did is I actually just connected with, I connect with like three or four of their recruiters and three or four of the HR people um, on LinkedIn and obviously got a, you know, pretty quick acceptance rate within a week. And then I applied for the job, uh, and it was a sales internship. So I applied for it. And then, um, and then I DM'd them, everybody in the department said, Hey, Joel Algy applied for the internship. Just want to see if you got, you know, if you received the application right. and I got a phone call in 10 minutes and I ended up getting that internship really, really quickly. Um, so I, you know, I kind of went in with that intention of like, you know, finance, making money, quickly realized like finance is kind of more a lot of introverted people. And I just talked way too much. And I was like, kind of more, I just wouldn't have done well in like an accounting or finance role. And so that's kind of how I got into sales, um, you know, with the sales internship, but to be honest with you, like I was really bad on the phone and like, I had just kind of like, I did, it was like, you know, they wanted people who were like really upbeat on the phone and like, Gaga, and like you know, and, and kind of rah, rah. And it just wasn't me. And so um, I actually didn't do that great in the sales internship. And I ended up uh, getting a job in, um, it was like right around 2011. So right around the great recession or whatever you want to call it. Right. And there just weren't a lot of jobs. So I ended up getting a job as a personal banker at Wells Fargo. And, you know, it was a, just an interesting time to be working in a bank in general, because, you know, everybody was underwater and 
with their mortgages, home equity. A lot of people were like, you know, kind of giving up their houses for foreclosure. Um, and, but I still had to sell them. I had to sell them like personal loans, credit cards. So it was just like, it was a hustle, you know, every day. And it was like, I had to open up four new checking accounts a day. And I don't know if you know anything about Wells Fargo, but they got in a ton of trouble for just like really high pressure sales tactics. When they were um, opening up like fake accounts, it, it, was that yeah, during they, that time as well? Yeah, it was, it was. And uh, yeah, I, I worked for them for about two years up here in Wisconsin. And then I actually moved out to the LA area. Um, and stayed with them. And it was the market that was next to us that actually got in trouble for that whole thing. But, you know, if you want to know like how high pressure it was and why people were doing that, I mean, I just remember times when like my manager would get off the phone with her district manager and she'd be in tears and like, just, I mean, it was like, it was bad. You know, it was like the type of stuff that nowadays just, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't fly like that high pressure, pressure tactics. But uh, so I did that. And like, honestly, like, I thought it was, I, the reason I went to Wells Fargo was I was like, this is, you know, I've got a degree in finance and I thought in banking, it would be like, I'd be using, you know, those finance skills and uh, finance, you have the finance skills, you have the people skills, you're trying to pull all those together at that point. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I I figured like, you know, that's a good place to start. Obviously like the pay wasn't great, but to be honest with you in 2011, it was hard to find jobs. And it was like, kind of like what you see today, where it's like, if you don't have experience, nobody's looking at you. So how do you get experience? And uh, again, like, and I, I just, you know, I, I've always had kind of a knack of being able to get jobs because I just, I'm just weird. And I just do things really differently. And I think, you know, that that's helped me a lot in my career and it's helped me a lot with recruiting now. But uh, I think even back, back when I first started, it was like misunderstood a lot. So, you know, I, I, kind of stayed with, with Wells Fargo for a while and, uh, struggled to move up. And, you know, I was like a high producer for my manager, but the one thing that I was really bad at was like, just, you know, organization and note-taking and funnily enough, like the way that they promoted was, wasn't based on your sales numbers. It was based on, uh, they also ranked you on like how well you managed like their CRM. And what you found was that people that had higher percentages for like the actual management of like the forms that they would have you fill out, those people got promoted. And because I wasn't very good organizationally, I'd have like really low uh, percentile when it came to that. But my sales numbers were really high because obviously like people would come see me. It was like, I was just telling them straight up, like the truth about things. I wasn't trying to schmooze them, but then people would keep on coming back. So I built up like pretty decent books of businesses. Um, So yeah, so that was like my first four years of, of my career. And then I ended up um, I ended up moving to a different bank and going more into like a bank manager position and like loan officer while I was underwriting small business loans. So that was again, like kind of in line with my finance, but, uh, to be honest with you, man, it was like banking is just such a regulated world. And again, if you're not organized and if you're not like somebody who's like super regimented, um, you know, you struggle. So I was like having to manage the bank and make sure we were in like compliance with all these regulations. Um, and, and then, you know, so that was about five years into my four or five years into my career. And then, uh, that guy who I mentioned told me to get on LinkedIn, he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I started up a recruitment agency. We're way different than any other recruitment agency. The way that we do things is different. Um, love to have you on board. Like I can't get you the job, uh, even though I'm the CEO, but I can get you the interview, get you a seat at the table, which you just have to go and take the rest of it then. Right. Exactly. And Funnily enough, like I show up to that, uh, I show up to the interview and at that time I was in, you know, I was in Southern California. I moved back to Wisconsin, uh, basically for this position. And he, uh, 
the guy, I remember the guy I interviewed with, I actually worked with him at that first company that I applied to with, uh, you know, the, the company that was hard to get into. Yep. Um, and so it was like, I kind of knew him in the interview, which made the interview process really easily. And uh, like anybody else who's in recruiting, basically just fell into recruiting, didn't know what I was getting myself into, zero experience. Uh, but I had, you know, I had, had a degree in business, so I, I could, you know, obviously in recruiting, you're working with a lot of different businesses. So started to use my degree a little bit more and, and uh, you know, I actually found that pretty positive, uh, but then just found like I had a knack with recruiting. So I think within the first six weeks, I got my first placement and then, you know, I just carried on getting placements. And I was like, oh man, I really, you know, I really enjoy uh, getting to know people, but then also like getting to know businesses and uh, just realize like, you know, recruiting could be a legitimate career and it's not just, uh, you know, it's, it's not just like a, a fun job that I got that's remote, which was at the time, you know, kind of what it felt like, but it was a legitimate career. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of takes me to, to how I got in recruiting and, uh, and obviously a ton has happened since then as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I am so excited. Thank you so much for setting such a fantastic scene. There's so many different areas that I want to jump into. I just want to take a big step back. It explains every, I think that you not being, uh, going into the recruiting world, like falling in, I don't want to say falling into the recruiting world. It happened because you built those quality relationships early on and you listened to that person and you, and you took their advice of, of LinkedIn. And now I think it's really interesting that um, to where you just fast forwarding to where you are today with almost a hundred thousand followers on LinkedIn, Obviously, you took that that to heart, but I think it's really interesting. The other really interesting thing as well is you've always been a rebel, and it just seems like the the finance thing. And I don't know if you could see it now, looking back on it, or, or just talking about the story. Like, it seems like it was way too regulated for you, for your personality, right? Yeah. What's the, what's the importance of finding a job, or, or over time trying to find a job that fits your personality in in those things that make you you? That's such a great question. And I think, you know, I took a lot of people who were like early on in their career and, and uh, you know, obviously right now recruiting is a hot, you know, it's a hot market for recruiting. So I get a lot of people who want to pivot, they want to transition into recruiting, um, you know, and in this case of like, well, what question, you know, what company do I work on? And then obviously like I'm having conversations all day with people who are considering career moves and all this type of stuff. And I think what's really interesting is like, you know, coming from the banking world, but then also coming from a really large company like Wells Fargo is like, you know, I had an employee, employee number at one time, you know, where you have your employee number. Um, and I think to me, like, that's not like necessarily a bad thing, but you have to be that right type of person. So my advice to anybody in like figuring things out, uh, particularly like more younger in your career, uh, you know, maybe in your 20s and 30s, it's like less about like trying to make it big at the time and like a lot more about trying to figure out like, what type of environment and what type of culture you're going to do best at. And I think one of the dangers that I see right now is a lot of people are like really glorifying like Fang, you know, like, you know, the Fang companies, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, whatever, whatever that, you know, whoever they are now. Uh, and then to even with like tech, like a lot of people want to integrate into tech and like, we have a lot of clients who are in tech and I think tech is great, but you know, tech isn't right for you if you like don't actually care about tech and you know right. like passionate about it so um and the same with like those big companies it's like you work at a big company you're a number you're going to get siloed and really really across the board uh what matters the most in any situation is like your relationship with who you're reporting into uh but obviously like things can change so that that's hard to gauge so i think 
to me, my advice to people all the time is like, be open to like trying some different things and in you and, but figuring that out as quickly as possible. And like, for me, I just know, like, again, with that company I worked with, um, that recruiting company I worked with, when I started with them, they had 90 people, uh, sorry, nine people. Uh, when I left five years later, they had 85 to 90 people. Oh, wow. Um, and then since the pandemic, they, I think, doubled or tripled in size. So they scaled really, really quickly. And what I realized was like, I'm great when it's like nine of us and there's no rules. But then as soon as processes come into play, I'm not great with processes. And so, you know, even in my job search recently, where I was like looking for like, what am I going to go into? And I'm trying to like pivot from like kind of doing my own thing. Like how, how am I going to fit into an organization? You know, one of the big questions I was asking is like, what's the management styles? Like, are you micromanaging? Like, how many meetings am I going to go into? And like, what are the processes look like? And, you know, just asking a question, like, what do you value more like process or results? Because if you, if nothing wrong with valuing a process more than results, because you know, that process will get you the results. Right. But I'm just not that type of person. Like I'm a person that's like, I'm going to get the results and I will put the process behind. And, and again, like at different growth stages of companies, you know, sometimes you just need to be the process and you need to follow it. And I think at other times uh, you kind of need those people who can break the process and get creative to get the results. So um, I think figuring that out and knowing yourself is crucial. And really the quicker you can do that, the easier it is going to be in the future and just knowing like what opportunities are going to be right for you and what, what's not. Um, instead of just relying on like, you know, like a review from Glassdoor and things like that, like figuring out who you are first and then looking at like, well, where's the organization at? and What, what are they going to value? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, to my core, I've always said that it's really something magical when, when you could take somebody's core values as a human being and align them with the company that you're looking for. So um, I, I think that that's something that you're mentioning of that, that seems important to you as well. But really, when you were, when you were mentioning all of those different things of really doing a lot of that inner work, it sounds like you really had to first determine what you wanted for yourself to ultimately then align to another company. But you know, you work with, with people who are, are looking for, for jobs all over the place right now, great resignation, whatever you want to call it, people are moving. So if you were to put together, you know, if you were to put together some kind of white paper or some kind of document that you would send to your clients that's saying, here's the things that you need to answer for yourself before you're able to, before we're able to help you to find that specific job, besides what kind of management style that you like, what, like, besides just the management style, what other main core topics would you put on a document like that? Because I think a lot of people could use something like that to help narrow the search for themselves, but yeah. also for the recruiters who are trying to, to make that matchmaker relationship, right? Yeah, and just to, just to clarify too with, with the recruiting piece, like so, because and it's, what you said is great and, and really helpful as well in terms of uh, kind, of point, kind of painting the picture for this, but like recruiters, I'm not helping people find jobs. Like I'm, you know, I'm working with companies to find them candidates. And I, I actually, this is a huge issue and like problem in a lot of ways, because, uh, you know, I can show you my inbox. I'm inundated with people saying, Hey, can you help me find a job? Can you help find a job? No, recruiters do not help anybody find a job. Like a career coach will, because they'll do your resume and, you know, they'll help you find, you know, they'll be able to talk through a lot of those things and figure it out. But as a recruiter, my job is to, you know, work with my clients, let's say I'm working with five clients, it's to find people to fit their needs. It's not the other way around. And the reason that thinking has gone that way is because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, when recruiters were, 
you know, finding candidates, that's how they would pitch it. They'd be like, I can help you find the next role. Uh, but it's just, it just isn't like that anymore. I mean, now it's like, you know, it, let's say a company's scaling and they want 20 account executives. I'm finding account executives for them. I'm not finding account executives and then trying to place them at different companies, if that makes sense. And, and a lot of recruiting now, it's like, you've got to have a good relationship with those companies as well. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that, but yeah, I think if I was looking at like from a candidate's point of view right. of like how to, how to look at things, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of different things you need to look at. I think size of company, like we've discussed is huge. You know, like, do I want to work at, you know, the under a thousand person company? Do I want to work at the 5,000 plus company? Do I want to work at like the 20,000 plus, you know, the, the, the big, big, you know, the big, big companies, or do I want to work at a company that, you know, has 15 people? You know, I think that's a great, I think that's a great starting point. And I'd say, you know, even just to, to go back a second, like the more specific that you can be with this stuff, the easier it is to, to, to find something like ambiguity in a job search does not help. It's like ambiguity in a sales sales. Like you've got to know who you want in a reach. Otherwise you're spinning your wheels for nothing. Same thing on a job search. So I think size of company, then just looking at like, what's the overall like mission of the company, right? Like are they, are they, are they doing something that you're genuinely passionate about? Um, and you know, you got to ask yourself like, what types of things am I passionate about? And I think a lot of people genuinely aren't passionate about really anything. Uh, and that's okay too. You know, it's, it's okay if you're not. So I think looking at the mission, what they're about. Um, and then I think you got to look at like the leadership too, and like the leadership of the company and figuring out like, okay, is the leadership, you know, is diversity something that I'm really passionate about? If so, like, is the leadership, diver you know, diverse, like, you know, and so, so looking at like the leadership of a company and then I look at things like, you know, simple things like what's the turnover like, and obviously like, it's hard to go in an interview and go, well, what's your turnover like, but it's easy enough on LinkedIn to just take a look and just, you know, click on a company and that's, it will show you like how many people have left, who's joined and just look at their backgrounds, look where they come from. Um, so I think, you know, that's my approach, like size of the company, the mission, and then starting to just look at like general turnover and those types of things. Um, and then, and then outside of that, I think, you know, maybe, maybe looking at like different industries that you're just excited about as, as well. Uh, but I guess that would be kind of in line with the mission, but like industry definitely, definitely matters. But I think the more of those that you can answer, the easier it is. And for example, like when I'm dealing with people, like what I don't want to hear as a recruiter is that I'm open to anything because like open to anything <laughs> is just, it doesn't, it's stupid. Like, are you open to anything? You're open to a garbage driver position? No. So don't say that. Like say, no, this is what I'm looking for, you know? And you know, if you're an SDR and you're looking for the AE position, then look there you for go. that, you know, do you exactly. want to work for us? Do you want to work for a small company? Do you want to work for a big company? What industry you want to be in? Exactly. And, and to be honest with you, like when I'm talking to, when I'm talking to candidates, like if somebody is like, just if somebody isn't being specific, then I know they're not serious about looking for something new. Uh, so as a recruiter, I'll be like, okay, great. Well, you know, let's just stay in contact. And, and that's totally fine too. You know, it's totally fine if you're not looking for a job. Uh, just because it's a great resignation doesn't mean you have to look for something new. Right. Uh, but the more specific you can get, the better. Uh, because again, like when you're in an interview, like I know people hate the question, like, why do you want to come work for us? But it's a legitimate question and they're going to ask it. And if you're like, well, I just work anywhere. You're not getting the job. Like it's probably the worst feedback that we get is yeah. They just kind of wishy-washy and you know, they didn't really show like any desire to work there. 
Um, and so I think like the more that you can come in there, whether it's like, Hey, I've seen you guys on LinkedIn. I've heard your podcast, uh, you know, something, give them a reason. Um, you know, because if you don't like, it's just, you know, I, I don't personally think like that works out, you know, and at least in my experience. No, absolutely. And, and that's, that's really interesting. And, and it's so many, it, like it is the, the matchmaker and it's okay to walk away. I'm hearing a lot more of a lot of these sales skills coming out, or at least a lot of parallels to sales, right? Yeah. You mentioned that you, you worked in retail sales and you obviously started the, uh, in your, your career, starting in that account management position. What types of what types of sales skills have you learned in those roles that are helping you right now as a recruiter? Yeah. I mean, I think like as a recruiter, like it's all about reading people and it's very sales focused, but instead of selling like a product or a service, like your commodity is, is people. And so like, in understanding that, like, Hey, if you're selling a piece of technology, that piece of technology is not changing its mind each day. You know, that piece of technology is not like going to not show up. Right. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a piece of technology. It's a product that you're selling. So when, when you're in recruiting, you kind of, your commodity is people, you know, and I kind of hate to put it like that because it commoditizes people, but it's just the truth. Like I'm, I'm, and, and I'm also on the back end, I'm selling that person on the company I'm working with and the client. So you're selling on both ends. And then, you know, it's like you're dealing, it's, it's almost like a psychological thing because you, you're having to build trust with somebody because no one's going to tell you how much they're making or what they're looking for. I shouldn't say how much they're making because I don't, I don't ask that. I ask, what are you targeting for? You can't ask what someone's making, right. but people will tell you like, Hey, this is what I'm making, but to have that trust and be able to have those conversations takes a relationship. So you got to be good at building a relationship. Then you got to also understand that like, you know, if someone's making a move, let's say they've been at a company for three, four years, it's a big deal to make a move because it's risky. It's like, well, I don't know. Am I going to like this manager? Everybody here, they know what I can do. They trust me when you're making a move, like what you've done in the past, typically doesn't matter. You've got to prove yourself all over. Um, and then you got to think about like as a recruiter, you know, right, especially right now, people have three or four different options. So how are you managing that? How, how are you, are you finding out what else have you got going on? You know, and then you start getting into the offer stage and, you know, you start having an offer conversation and you're dealing with money again, you're dealing with family and you're figuring out what are the other places offering? What do they want? And then, you know, let's say you get to offer stage and they accept, then you got to deal with the counter offer because obviously you're going to hand in your notice and Hey, if you're a really, really good employee, your company's not going to want to lose you. They're going to give you a counter offer. And then you got to walk people through that. So it's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of relationship. Um, but it's also being really, really transparent. And I would say too, it's the same thing in sales. Like being transparent is just, it, it kind of set, it, being transparent and straight up at times will lose you stuff you know may, might lose you a deal but the thing that you in, that you keep intact is like your integrity and your reputation and like sure you got to hit your quota but like your quota is going to disappear at the end of like you know the quarter of the year but your your reputation doesn't so you own your reputation your company doesn't you know so it's it's and it's the same with recruiting like if you're just constantly like telling people stuff and not following through and ghosting them um you know, eventually it will catch up to you. And for me, having a hundred thousand followers on LinkedIn, like, dude, I got to be careful with that conversation. I can't just like, I can't be like, yeah, ghosting's bad, and then ghost people, you know, because people will call me out. So it's it's a little bit different, I guess, from that aspect. But um, yeah, I think that's why the sales comes in. It's like understanding people and just being empathetic too, and just understanding like people are gonna do what they it's best for them. 
but like, I want to be that like person that they can trust. And Hey, at the end of the day, if you come to me and you say this other offer is better and I'm more excited about it, I will cheer you on, you know? And like, I'm sure my sales manager and, you know, my, my directors would be like, no, no, convince them to take the offer. But I've convinced people into taking pay cuts. I've convinced people into taking, you know, positions that weren't a great fit. I've talked people into stuff. They last six months and then you're back to square one. Um, so I think like that transparency piece is key. Uh, but also like, you know, you've, you've, you've got you to care and, you, and you've, you do have to persuade people. I think a lot of the influencing and persuading actually happens less with candidates and more with hiring managers. Because, uh, you know, a lot of hiring managers, like they're pretty set on what they want. And in a tough market like this, a great recruiter is gonna gonna be able to th- convince them to think outside the box. Or, hey, maybe you can that unconsidered home. need or something, right? Like, hey, exactly. it, even though this doesn't check the box here, they would be able to bring this to you. Is would th- would that be beneficial instead, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's 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 what separates a good recruiter from a great recruiter. A good recruiter will find you three or four candidates that you know fit fit the bill like a great recruiter will, uh, will, will find you, you know, maybe candidates that you never thought of, you know, and, 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 uh, and, 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 you know, basically not convince the hiring manager, but have enough subject matter expertise that they can talk intelligently with them to show them like, Hey, you know, you're going to have to, you, you are going to have to maybe not find someone with these skills, but this is what you've got. And here's some of the transferable skills. Um, so I think that's really where the sales side comes in. Uh, but obviously the sales with like, you know, everything I said with like the negotiating salary and all that type of stuff. No, absolutely. And it, it's so funny too. I know, I know when you mentioned earlier um, about, about moving all the time and having to build quickly, be able to build relationships and read people. Those are some more sales skills as well. And, and they absolutely help in your recruiting, right? You need to build relationships with your hiring managers. You need to build relationships with your prospective clients. Um, and the, the other, the, the other interesting thing too, is that you know, you mentioned trying to to be good and, and do best by that uh, employee because even if they don't if they don't go with Joel this time on that recruiting, yeah, you don't pay the bills in that point. But in six months down the road, if that wasn't the right pick, who's going to be coming right back to Joel for that help? And I'm sure you probably have a lot of boomerangs that that come back to that. Um, but yeah, with that, I mean, that's look, look the hardest period of time in recruiting is that first two to three years right? Because no one knows you, you're building up your network. It's tough. Like that's the toughest. But if you get through those two to three years, then you can, I mean, hey, you can walk people through their whole career, you know, like, and, and the thing is, is like the more, you know, within the space that you're recruiting in and the more networked you are and the more intelligent you are and about the market um, that happens. So, you know, you might have a, you might have a candidate that you place three times over 10 years you know, and so it is all about that relationship. And then you got to think about like referrals. So similar to sales on that, like, Hey, you know, I'm a software engineer. I've been doing it for three years. Guess what? I hang out with other software engineers and that's who I network with. I had a great experience with you because you were just transparent the whole time. I'm going to send over my buddies. So it's like, it's just understanding, like there's more work for that person down the line. If you treat, you treat the relationship well, but that'll also understanding like there's referrals that you get as well. Right. And for like some of these tough to fill positions, like referrals are massive, you know, I mean, it's a massive thing. It's massive in sales, obviously, as well. Um, I think like where the big difference is and like with with sales and recruiting in, in my mind is I do think like within sales, like, you know, straight sales, 
it's, it's, you know, there's definitely a lot more like process because again, it's like you're dealing with kind of static things. Like obviously you're dealing with people with a decision maker, but the product is static. And I think when you're in recruiting, it's just a little bit different, you know, because you can place somebody and they can't, they won't show up, you know, and, or they might not show up or they might accept something else, you know, after they've accepted the offer. So I think there's a little bit more unpredictability there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're great at sales, chances are you would be really great at recruiting as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I hear a lot of those those same common threads. So I, I felt like I, I had to had to say that. So before we jump in, into higher well, um, I really want to just discuss briefly. I know you, you mentioned briefly that you um, did a little bit of work on your own before you started moving into Hoxa Media and also now into uh, the lead, lead recruiter role at higher well, where I wanted to focus next. But yeah. talking about the, you know, headhunter media, right? Like what was your experience like going out on your own? Um, and then what was that experience like coming back working for somebody else as well? What kind of advice do you have for somebody in that role? Yeah, I think like, number one, I think like entrepreneurship and solopreneurship is like, it's glamorized, right? And like, I think, you know, backing up like a year and a half before I went on my own and kind of did my own thing, that was when I had started producing content on LinkedIn. And that came from like a point of like, just seeing like the trends and going, I don't want to always just be like an outbound machine. I want to create some inbound and, and like at the very, at the very least, I just want people to know who I am when I'm reaching out. Uh, that's where the content started from and it obviously evolved, but then I got into like the idea and honestly, I just started thinking I was better than I really was, but let's face it. Like I had zero experience in running a business before I started a business zero. Uh, so, but I, I'd like been, the more I threw myself into content and LinkedIn and all these communities, the more like I started to really like despise like what I was doing and working for someone else. And like, for me, honestly, like going solo, like I quit, like headhunter media was, I was writing the LinkedIn content for independent recruiters, um, you know, and like small recruiting companies. So I quickly found out like, yeah, I love writing content for myself, but I don't want to write 40 LinkedIn posts a week. Like, are you kidding me? And not at the rate that I was charging, which wasn't a bad rate, but it was like, I just didn't know even like how pricing needed to be and all that type of stuff. So, right. but it was a good experience because like, honestly, it like just, I don't know how to describe it, but it just kind of like satisfied the need of like what I thought. And, and I was like, suddenly it was like the urge to go solo, like disappeared. And I started valuing like, partnership and like understanding that like some people are really good with operations or some people are really good with like certain aspects of business and I'm really good at other parts but you know when you're solo like it's a lot and it's definitely not for everybody so I learned that really really quickly and I just learned too like I enjoy working with people I enjoy being a part of something that's bigger than me so like going back and working like Hoxo was was very much I would still consider like solo even though I was working with them. I mean, they were based in the UK and I was contracted out as a 1099 employee and I was billing them for the sales I was bringing in and I was coaching recruiters on how to do LinkedIn content. That's what Hoxo Media was, but I was also like our face in the US selling into recruitment agency owners this eight-week boot camp to teach their whole team how to get good on LinkedIn. And it was tough. Like try selling into recruitment owners that are having the best years of their life and then telling them like, when this changes though, you're going to want to think about your brand. Last thing they wanted to do last year was take that team out for eight weeks to put them into a, a boot camp to show them LinkedIn content when everybody's having record-breaking years. So that was like 2021. It was rejection, 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 ghosted. It was everything. And 
And so then getting back into recruitment, for me, it was honestly a pretty easy consideration because I was like, recruiting's great. I get to work from anywhere I want. I get to talk to people. I get phone calls. I get flexibility. I love recruiting anyway. Only reason I left was because I enjoyed, you know, the LinkedIn stuff and I thought I could help people. Um, so like working for, for people, it's been great. I think Hirewell as a company, like, you know, one of the big things that really kind of excited me about it was like, it's just a culture of like no micromanagement and just like results, like get it done. Uh, Ray Collaborative, which again, for the recruiting space, isn't that, that common. So we work as a team, we win as a team. Uh, truly, you know, which again, in recruiting, it's typically like you're just kind of like running your own book of business, your own desk. It's not like that at Hirewell. Um, and then, like I was saying before the call, like we uh, we don't have a sales team. Uh, it's all inbound leads that we're bringing in. Um, and that's because James Hornick, who's my contact, who was my contact that got me into Hirewell, um, you know, he's been doing the content thing for two or three years. He's got an engine. Um, you know, and we work with some great companies. I mean, we work with, you know, like Refine Labs, you know, we're working with them. We're filling some of their, you know, higher, higher level positions there. Um, and then we're working with clients like Roku, you know, Cat Digital, like big companies, but it's all inbound. Uh, so I think like James is really smart with the marketing and like how he's done things. Uh, and so it was like the perfect fit, you know, as I, as I was interviewing, which, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but sent out zero applications. I just sent out DMs like, hey, I'm interested in getting back into recruiting. Got three interviews, three kind of different companies, all really great cultures. I went with Hirewell because uh, I just think the stuff that they were getting into was just kind of down, you know, down my lane. And I look at this as like, yeah, I'm working for, for people, but you know what? I'm not working 24 seven and I'm not worrying about like what happens to my next client. Uh, and I have two young kids at home. So for me, like I've also realized a value and that I value my time with my kids and I value my time with my family. And honestly, I just look at it like I want to spend the next, you know, three to five years enjoying recruiting, being really great at recruiting, helping hire well, grow, continuing to do the LinkedIn content, uh, but being able to spend a lot of time with my kids as well, because I'm never going to get these years back. Yeah. And that's so important to have that. Uh, I think we align incredibly well on that. Um, you know, that, that's the reason why I went to Vidyard as well, right? It, it's that remote environment of, of getting pushed back into the office. You know, that was due to COVID, but still learn that I love this remote infrastructure. And you, you almost need some of those crazy things to, to push you out of where you were where you were comfortable with ultimately to where you need to be. So, um, so that's such, a, such an incredible story, Joel. Would love to learn, or in your opinion, why do you think that somebody should hire a firm like Hirewell to come and help do the recruiting on, on a company's behalf instead of just having their own internal recruiters? Yeah, I mean, look, you've got to have your, you know, I would say like right now having internal recruiters is crucial uh, as well. But, you know, like when you're working with like a recruiting team like ours, for example, you know, my the director that I work with, he's been doing HR and talent acquisition recruiting for 10 years. So like his network is is large, right? And so- like when you're working with recruiters, yes, we're out there like trying to find people, but we're also like leaning a lot on like conversations that we've had over years. Um, so, you know, with, with recruiting, it's especially in a market like this where it's really, really, really tough, you know, working with an agency like ours, you know, you're not only dealing with like the subject matter expertise of what's actually going on in the market and where salaries are, because you're having, we're having a lot more conversations. Um, you know, for some of these tough to fill roles, you've got to throw time on it. Now, 
for an in-house recruiter, they might be handling 20 to 30 open positions. So just think about that. Like you in a tough market where it's really hard to find people, you got 20 to 30 positions. How many hours are you putting on each, each of those positions? Probably maybe one hour, right? And then you're getting bombarded with internal people. So you want to, you know, you get internal applications. So you want to figure out like which ones are good, which ones that takes time. Um, so what I find with a lot of TA, you know, talent teams internal, they're just overwhelmed. Um, and so like working with an agency, the right agency, it helps with that. And the way that we work with, with companies, you know, it's a retainer. So they pay us up front and you're paying for my time, right? You're paying for my dedicated time on your search. Um, and then on the back end, you know, when we make a placement, uh, there's a fee there. Uh, but, you know, even with paying those fees, a lot of people like 25% or 20%, like that's huge. And it's like, yeah, but it seems like that, you know, maybe if I'm just sending you a resume and you're making a hire, it can seem like that. But what if I known that candidate for five years? Like, are you, you know, you're paying actually for that relationship. Um, now where recruiting gets a bad name is a lot of, you know, a lot of recruiting in, in the past is what they call contingent. So it's literally like, you don't get paid until you fill it. What that produces it produces a numbers game. And that's where you start seeing like just bad resumes getting thrown. You see crazy KPIs, um, you know, kind of just like, it's not strategic. And that's when you start dealing with recruiters that don't really know like the industries they're in. So yeah, I think with a working with a company like Hirewell, where we're like truly partnering with companies, we're, we're taking time with the hiring manager in the front end to have a conversation, figure out what they're looking for, getting the culture, getting the vision for this role. And then we're going out and pitching it. Um, you know, that, that process works. I think if you're dealing with like three or four different contingent agencies that are just throwing you resumes, like, yeah, I mean, that's pointless. So it's less about working with an agency and just more working with like an agency that got a good process, knows what they're doing. And at the end of the day, it's protecting your brand as well. Because again, if you're working with lots of recruiters, who knows what messages they're sending out to candidates, who knows if they're ghosting people and, and your name's in there. Um, so, so yeah, so I think, I think, uh, I think it's crucial to work with an agency. Um, and, you know, I run into it where I hear people saying, yeah, we've got it all handled and, and we can do it. Sure. Okay. And I think some companies are like that, but I think nowadays, like, you know, in this market, like if I talk to guys at Twitter or Facebook and, you know, recruiters at those companies, they're struggling to find people. So, you know, you should put it in perspective. You know, it's helpful to have somebody uh, kind of working for you on that end. Yeah, absolutely. And especially a lot of these HR folks, I know my wife is in HR and they there's, you know, they're already inundated with a number of different things to do, let alone take the time and effort to find those people who are going to be that good fit for the company, right? You, you can't, you, there's only so many hours in a day. So um, I really, I really appreciate that, Joel. This is, this has been so fantastic. I really want to ask a couple uh, ra more rapid fire questions that I, I typically ask every guest. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So number one, what is your best piece of a parenting advice, knowing that you have a little boy and a little girl, and you know, obviously, we're gonna have the same uh, in a in a very uh, short time frame. What advice do you have for me, Joel? Oh man, be patient. <laughs> be be patient, and uh, I guess just in, enjoy those moments. But I'm yeah, I'm enjoying it, and and taking it really taking the time, and just thinking like this stuff just flies by. So uh, I'm excited it's for you. It's but so you know, we're like in the same boat though. I feel like so. I know, man. It's it's really interesting though. And you mentioned being patient. Like I think every single guest that I've I've had on the podcast who is a parent to young children, 
be patient was the number one answer bar none. So if you don't have patience, whether, you know, I think it's really important whether you're a parent or not. I mean, there's a lot of people out here who I'm sure don't have children. Um, you got to be patient with your, with your spouse, with your significant other, with the people you're working with. I mean, everybody patience is, is way more important than just a, a parent skill. But also I think it's really, really cool, Joel, that obviously, you know, you, you've had a, you know, a, some, some bumps in the road as you were, as you were um, moving, moving up the path to where you are today, but you really no no matter what you came back to the point where you have this family and I mean, you're exactly where you need to be, right? You figured out that you wanted to go on yourself. You were humble enough to say, that's not what I, that, that's not aligning with the goals that I, I really had for my family or for my life. You could be going and in, in, in working 80 hours a week, right? But you found, you found that job that was most important for you and aligning to your goals. So I think that that's, I know that this is a little side tangent uh, besides just being patient, but I think it's really important that you need to make sure, you know, on the topic of, of recruiting and finding jobs, making sure that you're finding that job that's going to align with your goals personally and professionally um, and, and, and be patient while you're in that process. Anything else to say there, Joel? No, no, man, you're a hundred percent. And I think like, it's, it's a big deal because again, like, you know, and, you know, particularly with like LinkedIn, obviously like, or any kind of social media that you get into, I guess is like, and I've really thrown myself into that world. Like it did breed a lot of impatience and like, why am I not where I need to be? Like, why is this person further ahead of me? And dude, it's tough when you see like under 30s, you know, like coming up with these amazing ideas and becoming millionaires and, and, you know, kind of, you're like, man, I'm, 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 I'm over 30 or, you know, like I'm 40 or 50 and what have I done? And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a fallacy, you know, a lot of times. And it's like, you don't actually really know what that person's life is like. And again, like, this isn't like a hating on like being successful or like making a lot of money or whatever your goals are. Uh, but it's just also understanding, like, you know, you got to be grateful for where you're at as well. And I do think patience is huge. And, you know, I hear, I see, you know, I see these like stuff on TikTok or like clubhouse, wherever you want to go for, for the content where it's like these people just talking about like, this is how you land your dream job. And I'm like, dude, you're talking to like people who are like 23, 24 about dream jobs. Like they're going to be working till the 60. So you find your dream job. That's your job. Right? First job. You're going to work that dream job for 40 years. Like you got to stop. Like we got to start like thinking like realistically with this stuff and like, and just also understanding like this seasons, like, yes, right now I really value time with my kids and yeah, I'm giving up some of like, you know, maybe finance, you know, financial success or giving up something, but you know what, like the work will be there. There'll be plenty of work in the future. There'll be plenty of money and, and those types of things. And, uh, I think like for me, like that is why I started and went solo was like, I got really frustrated and really annoyed. And I think if that's where you're at, that's never a place to start something. Like you've got to figure out like, why am I frustrated? What am I annoyed with? Like, why am I not being recognized? And you know, like you said, I love like you said that I was humble. Like the reality of it is though, is like when I was first starting out, like I wasn't humble and I thought I could do everything. And I thought I was this, and I thought it was that. And, um, it just wasn't the case, you know, and, and right. it, I'm okay with that. And, uh, you know, and it's like, even now at the company I'm at, like I work with some great people who are way better than me. And, uh, I think like for a time period, I used to think like I was better than everybody kind of thing. Right. Uh, you know, but again, it's like you learn and you grow and, and definitely like having kids has impacted that as well. 
That's so fantastic, Joel. I'm so glad that we had that portion of the conversation. I think it's really important for people to know. And, and I think it's uh, completely admirable that you did have that, uh, was humble enough to, um, to, to say, hey, this isn't maybe working out and I want to go do something else. So I'm sure that that wasn't a tough decision from an ego standpoint for anybody. And, you, and you're obviously a humble guy, but uh, I think that that's incredible. Final question that I want to ask. I ask every single guest on the show this question. If you were going to teach a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life experience, what would you teach and why? Yeah, I, honestly, man, I think it would be just understanding people and then kind of within that also just like real world, I, I guess like real world, like office politics is what I would teach and like how, because I just, that was like the biggest shock to me, like out of college was like, I did really well, like academically and got good results. And then I thought I was like entitled to something. And then you get in the real world and you realize like, dude, there's people who are like probably less smart, like have less better abilities or more successful than you. Right. Uh, so it'd be just like a real world lesson on that. And then uh, the minor, my secondary class would be uh, just the importance of, of LinkedIn and not even like link, I mean, content and those types of things, but like really like that personal branding and like just knowing that like that is really like the future of, of business. And uh, I just think colleges are letting people down, like not teaching that type of stuff, even though they probably are now. But um, yeah, that's what I, that is what I would teach. Obviously, I had to say that. Since oh, I'm man, you know what, Joel? I'm, I'm so mad that I didn't ask that question first off. Because <laughs> I, I think at this, um, I think it sets the perfect tone, though, for a round two. Um, because I, you know, I'm truly one of my main missions in life now is really to, to help people understand, you know, from, a, from my perspective of trying to help from a, a sales perspective to try to make sales a, a good, you know, most people don't know that you could go into sales and be as successful as you can. Right. And, and people don't know what that personal branding looks like. And I, I hope to God that, uh, if there's any college professors out there listening, please, please, please help your students with personal brand. If they, if they need help with that, please have them reach out to somebody, bring us into your classrooms. Like, like it, it's truly so important. Relationships are everything. Um, you know, obviously our, our, our dear friend, Scott McGregor, who was another reason why we're connecting shout out to Scott, as I know you'll be listening into this one as well. Um, people are really everything. So, you know, personal branding. And again, I think that Joel, that this needs to be another round too. So, uh, this is such a great conversation, man. Where can people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, like LinkedIn and Joel Algy, if you uh, if you look me up there. But I'm also on Twitter as well, and uh, kind of getting more into Twitter and enjoying that as well. It's probably an easier place to reach me. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say like at this time, like as far as like connecting with me on LinkedIn, I only connect with the recruiters at this time because I'm like running out of the the connections, but. You know, that's probably a good place to find out about me. And then, uh, like I said, Twitter as well and get more active on that. Um, but yeah, I'm always, I'm like, I can't promise like I can help everybody with, with questions, but I'm, I try and make myself accessible and, um, you know, try and help people as, as much as I can. But again, like going back to that prior, prior point, like as a recruiter, I can only really help you find a job if you're in line with what my clients at that moment are looking for. Like, I'm not going to be able to like, help you spruce up your resume and get a strategy together. Uh, for that, you'd probably need someone else like a Adam Posner or someone. Yeah. Adam Posner, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to the podcast as well. We're going we're gonna to have to bill him for this as well. So thank you so much, that. Joel. Have a good one, man. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate it, man. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.